have a, a special guest with us this morning. He is an evangelist. He lives in the North Texas district. I met Joe Oden a few years back when I was a student pastor in Chandler, Texas. He was preaching the camp, uh, youth camp that summer, and, and he shared his testimony and his story and, and prayed with our students and launched us into a season of ministry um, that, we, that we hoped for, but we had not yet seen at that time. Our students came back from camp fired up and, and ready to take on their campus. And Joe and I have stayed in communication throughout these few years. He actually started a school of ministry, a cohort um, from SUM in the Waxahachie area out of the North Texas District Office. I was one of his first students in an accredited Bible school. I got my master's degree through his cohort at, with SUM. And I believe that we, in order to fulfill God's call for us, we have got to receive everything that God has for us so that he can do everything he wants to do through us. And I say that to give the disclaimer and make sure that you know that at this church, we believe not just in a salvation experience, but in an infilling of God's Spirit experience. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, we believe that the Holy Spirit gives gifts. And there are nine gifts represented in the book of Corinthians in chapter 12 and more gifts represented in the book of Romans chapter 12. There are some who are gifted to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and this morning, we have a guest with us who's a great communicator, but even more so practices what he preaches in society, not just in the sanctuary. He is a gifted evangelist. I have seen him operate in the spiritual gifts of prophecy and wisdom and a word of knowledge speaking directly into the life of people. I have seen him operate in the gift of healing. I'll give you one example and I'm going to give him the microphone. But I had a student while Megan and I were at the church in Chandler, Texas who hit his arm funny in a football game and it deadened his arm. For the three years that we were there, he could not move his hand. He could not move his arm. He did not have feeling in his arm. His arm was paralyzed and numb until last year during Chandler's revival services where Joe Oden went and preached and laid hands in the name of Jesus on that arm. And for the first time in four years, one of our students who could not move a paralyzed arm received received feeling in that hand. And when Megan and I went back and visited this summer, he said, Pastor Chris, look at my arm. Look what God did. We still serve the same God today as he was in the book of Genesis all the way through Revelation. And he wants to do a mighty work in your life. Would you please help us welcome our evangelist, my friend, Pastor Joe Oden. Glory to God, man. I didn't know he couldn't move it. That's powerful. Glory. It, uh, it is an honor to be here today. Don't you love your pastors, Pastor Chris and Pastor Megan? I mean, I really love those guys. I, you know, 
they're the kind of people, man, I could just haul up and take a vacation with. I just like hanging around Pastor Chris. Isn't he wonderful? Come on, say amen right there. Glory to God. Uh, I'm not originally from North Texas. Some people call it a mission field. Others call it a foreign nation. I call it Alabama. Home of the Crimson Tide. I won't talk anymore about that. I offended 18 people when I started talking about that. And they said, they said, Pastor Chris, we love you, but we don't like that Alabama guy. We're not coming back tonight, so I'm going to refrain. How many of you know you don't have to have your suit just right, your tie just right? Read from the King James Version of the Bible for God to hear your prayer. How many of you know you can be headed the wrong way with the wrong people and God still hear everything that you say to him? Um, I, was a, I used to be a drug addict, a drug dealer, addicted to everything that goes along with that lifestyle. One night I was doing a drug called LSD. LSD is not approved by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. And I'd taken a bit too much of it this particular night, and I was having what appeared to be an overdose. I was, my back was wrenched. I was literally curling up in a fetal position in my friend's car. They put something in it called strychnine, they say, and it's rat poison. It kills the rat by destroying its nervous system. And you'll find them dead, curled up in a fetal position. And I was literally curling up in a fetal position. And I was contemplating going to the emergency room. I was very frightened. It was about midnight, I went home and I turned on the television and I'm flipping through the stations and I stopped on an unusual station that people that trip on LSD usually don't stop on. TBN. How many of you know that's a wild combination? L LSD and TBN at the same time. There was pink hair on the platform, I'm telling you, man. And naked baby angels. I thought I'd found the psychedelic channel, man. I was waiting for the dude with the big beard to come out and start painting and going, whoa, look at the little deer. And, and is it a lovely little deer? And look at the little ears on the deer. You know, that guy, <laughs> he was tripping on LSD a lot. And so um, I, was, uh, I wouldn't have stayed long. And there was a man that used to sing for the group Black Sabbath, the one Ozzy Osbourne started, and uh, Jeff Finholt. And uh, he was preaching that that session and he points his finger in the camera and he said there's some young people that are watching this program and you're hooked on drugs deep dark cave of drug addiction but i got good news for you jesus is in the cave with you and you're coming out of the cave and when he brings you out he's going to set you free and you're going to preach the gospel around america when he said that the power of god hit me in that lazy boy chair and i was instantaneously sobered off of the drug it was a move of the Spirit. The Spirit of God dropped into my living room. Isn't that the grace of God? I mean, I'm a drug addict. I sell drugs. I'm on a hallucinated drug, tripping out of my mind. I'm an alcoholic. I'm immoral. I'm a rebel against God. But yet he showed up at my house, sobered me up, took me off the overdose because he's good. We serve a good God that will visit us in our bankrupt, messed up, sinful condition. How many of you have ever needed that in your life? When you weren't looking for God, He was looking for you. And so I'd love to say at that moment that gold dust fell on me and I got saved and baptized in the Spirit and three angels showed up, but that's not what happened. I continued to sell drugs and deal drugs and go in the wrong direction faster than I'd ever gone before. 
but I'd had an encounter. Everybody say encounter. Every, come on, everybody say encounter. I'll go T.D. Jakes on you. Slap your neighbor in the head and yell encounter real loud. I hate it when people do that. <laughs> I hate slapping somebody in the head and yelling hallelujah. Ever been in a church like that? Slap your neighbor in the mouth and tell them glory one time. Man, shut up with that, man. I don't like it. Anyway, uh, everybody say encounter. But don't slap your neighbor. I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I've, I've gotten stains on my shirt before, and more often than not, with enough detergent, the stain comes out. But when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't wash away. It doesn't fade. You might try to push it out of your memory or think about something else or downplay it, but when the Spirit of God touches an individual, it has staying power. And I would try to shake it, but he was unshakable. And I began to do two things after that encounter that you normally don't do when you sell drugs and do cocaine. I began to pray every night before I'd go to bed, and I began to prophesy. The prophecy part messes with people. You mean you prophetically said things? Yeah. I'd be at a party with cocaine in my pocket, marijuana joint hanging out of my mouth, and a long neck Budweiser in my hand. And I'd prophesy. I'd say, and I'd get everybody's attention. It wasn't just, it wasn't lightly. It was obnoxious. I know you find that hard to believe. You mean you were obnoxious? Yeah, I was. One time. And slap your neighbor in the head and say he was obnoxious one time. And, and I, would, I would get everybody's attention. And I'd say, hey, I mean, I literally at a party, imagine, you know, high school keg party. The dude that's drunk out of his mind gets, the, you know, 200 people's attention. One day real soon I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ around America. And my friends would say, dude, you've got to knock that off, man. You know the girls that were hanging around us? Do you see them anymore? They're gone. Stop that preaching the gospel around America, man. We're going to have to quit hanging out. You're a drug dealer. You smoke too many crack, man. You've got to stop. But I was calling things even though they were not as though they were. I was prophetically shaping the destiny of my life. One night I'm in Gold Shores, Alabama, intoxicated, been drinking all day, from 9 o'clock in the morning, it's midnight, smoking dope, and I had a bright idea. You ever met a drunk guy with a bright idea? You ever been the drunk guy with a bright idea? Yeah. I thought, I'm going to give a California wave to the guy next to me. I'm not showing you what that is. And he didn't think it was funny. Matter of fact, they started chasing us. So I had another bright idea. I thought, I'm going to get out of the car with my long neck Budweiser, smack this guy in the head, and we're going to go finish our party. Part number one, we pull over. Part number two, I get out with my tall Budweiser, throwing it in the air like this, telling the guy to get out of the car. And all of a sudden, all the police from Gold Shores, Alabama, showed up out of nowhere, like Philip the Evangelist. This guy I was messing with was an undercover cop, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't think it was funny and all his buddies showed up and they wrote a song about me maybe you've heard it before it goes something like this I fought the law 
Figured you know it, you dirty, rotten sinners. Y'all going to hell for listening to secular music. I caught all of you, and it's on video. I fought the law. The law won. I went straight to jail. I was in and out of jail, and I had a judge in Robertsdale, Alabama, right outside of Gulf Shores. And he kept putting me in jail. The last time he put me in jail, he put me in for a year. He let me out much earlier than that, and he starts going over my probation. He said, son, you've got to go to AA. You've got to go to NA. How many of you have ever been to a good AA meeting, good NA meeting? Several of you. Keep your hand up. Come on, put it up there. Put it up there. Look around. They're no longer anonymous. Go to AA. I love to do that. <laughs> Take the anonymity out of AA. And that guy was an alcoholic you're sitting next to. Slap him in the head and call him an alcoholic. And so I was, uh, I was uh, and then he said, and you have to go to church every Sunday and get the bulletin signed by a pastor. Remember as a drug addict, I prayed every night before I'd go to bed that God would get me in church. He sanctioned a judge. Isn't that the grace of God? He sanctioned a judge that did not have the authority to send me to church. I could have called the, I could have called the ACLU and, and, and ran a case against him. But God in his mercy and grace, as an adult now, I was sentenced to church. How many of you know some churches that's a sentence? You ever been to that church? It's like death row every Sunday. So I began to go to church, had to talk to the pastor. That was a wild conversation. Six months into my church sentence, I walked in, sat down, and I felt something in the room. Have you ever walked into church and it was different than the week before? Have you ever walked into church and felt something undescribable? I was a drug addict. But I didn't know Christianese. You know what I'm talking about when I say Christianese? I didn't know how to say, I feel the manifestation of the Holy Ghost in the tabernacle of the living God. I feel angelic visitations all around the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I didn't know how to talk like that. I'm like, dude, there is a total cosmic vibe in the house. Something shaking. I'm having open-eyed visions of the things of God, man. I'm not Pentecostal. I wasn't raised in a Pentecostal church, but I'm having open-eyed visions of the things of God. And I'd never heard anybody preach like this guy. I'd heard people talk, but I'd never heard anybody stand up and talk to me with a baptism of holy fire, an anointing that breaks the yoke. Never heard that anybody like that. And I was the guy that people write books about, well, you got to tone down the service. you got to keep it in the back room because these are the kind of people the real thing is going to spook. I was the guy that the, the church gurus wrote books about and why you got to have your service in a certain way because you want that guy to come back. But that is what I needed. I would have never made it to an off night or a back room. And when he began to preach in the way he did, I was attracted to the anointing. I wasn't repulsed by it. He gave a call to receive Christ, and I jumped up, and I literally ran, sprinted to the altar. I got on my knees, and I began to repent of my sins. You know, part of salvation is repentance. Everybody say repentance. 
the first message that Peter ever preached after he was saved and filled with the Spirit, he said, you've got to repent and turn to God. What he was saying is you've got you, you to leave your sin. You've got to leave your immorality, your bitterness, your unforgiveness. He said, you've got to leave your life of sin. Repent and bow your knee, not to the saving of Christ, but to the Lordship, the dominion of Jesus Christ. He's not just our Savior. He's a King and a Lord. He tells us how to live our life. We don't tell him how we're going to live our life. I gave my life to him. I'm down on my knees and for the first time in my life on April the 27th, 1997, I stood up washed in the blood of Jesus Christ clean. The minister stepped off of the platform. I was, he was about to pray for me. I didn't know exactly what to expect. He said, what do you need from God? I gave it my best spiritual shot. I said, I'd like to get filled with the Holy Ghost. He said, okay. He took his hand. He laid it gently upon me. He prayed. The next thing I know, now I was raised Methodist. The next thing I know, I'm flying back under the power of God, and I land on my back. And the first thought I had was this, Lord, that was like I just smoked a really good joint. I didn't know how to say, man, that was a beautiful manifestation of the Holy Ghost as I flew back under the power of God and landed on my back in the Shekinah. I didn't know how to talk like that. I'm like, man, that's like the Colombian red-haired bud stuff right there, man. And I'm thinking, I'll take another toke of that. <laughs> Pastor Chris, did I show up in the middle of a prune juice slash lemon fast? Some people... Got the stink face. Like they smelled a skunk or something. But that boy, that redneck from Alabama, did he just equate the glorious manifestation of the Holy Spirit with cannabis? Did I understand him right? The, the chemical THC, marijuana, the young people call it pot that makes the brain cells stimulate, causes what they call a buzz. Yeah, I equated it like that. You ever been touched by God in such a way where you didn't have a vocabulary word or an adjective to depict or describe the manifestation from another world coming into yours? You see, Jesus, he was still doing the Holy Ghost jig in heaven because a sinner that was bound by hell, death, and the grave had got saved and liberated from drug, sex, and alcohol. Heaven was still dancing. They were not mad that I was equating the manifestation with cannabis. I got up off the floor. We had altars that ran down the, all, you know, down the row there, and I sat on it like somebody getting on a horse in Montana. I wasn't leaving. Guys, I had been waiting my whole life for this. There was joy unspeakable. It was better than any drug I'd ever done, and it's rushing through my body. But I felt clean inside. I felt good. I looked up to God. And as I said, if my friends that are hooked on dope could feel this power that's running through my body, they'd get born again. I said, my life for the gospel. I walked in that night bound by hell, death, and the grave. I walked out set free, baptized in the fire of the Holy Ghost, called to be an evangelist. I went to work. I went to work the week before going to hell. I went to work the next week telling everybody they were going to hell. How many of you know that was definitely not the most effective form of evangelism? I had friends the week before, and I was eating by myself by the next week. Nobody appreciated me telling them they were going to go straight to hell. 
and I found some tracks. You know, and I'd go to the Browns of Revival. Anybody ever hear the Browns of Revival? Several of you. I'd go to the Browns of Revival, and evangelist Steve Hill taught me my first vocabulary word as a Christian. Hell. He could tell you that you're going to go to hell 7,404 ways in one night. So that's my first vocabulary word, and that's what I thought you had to tell people. You're going to hell. You're going to hell, man. And the second thing I'd do is I saw Dr. Michael Brown he would lay hands on your head like this. I promise I won't mess your hair up. You did it so nicely this morning. You put a lot of gel in there. I promise I, all that gel in that hair. I'm going to mess his hair up real good. Look at that. I'm messing his hair up. Uh, woo! Put my hand on his head and you'll fire real loud. And that's how I thought you had to pray for people. <laughs> Honey, give him your comb. I'm sorry I messed your hair up. And so that's how I thought you had to pray for people. Tell them they're going to hell. Everybody loves that, right? And then lay hands, somebody you've never met, that you put your hand square on their head and yell fire. And I mean, it wasn't, you know, a nice little, and Lord, I just pray that your lovely spirit would just touch them real nice and they would give them, no, it was like fire! Wake them up. So I, where did you practice this, Joe? At the mall. You know, Dave walking through the mall looking for a blouse for his wife for Mother's Day, and here comes Joe with his gospel track. I've written my own since, but back then I had one with fire on it, and a dude falling into hell. Thought it'd be a good visual aid. I'm going to show you what's going to happen to you, man. Look at the dude. Does he look happy? Does he look like he's having a good time? No, the man's going to hell, and you're going to follow him right now, I'm telling you. That love of God stare. And after, I remember this guy's walking through the mall. I walked up to him, through the track in his face, looked at him with the love of God, stare, said, tell me, if you died right now, would you go to heaven or hell? He said, I'm a Baptist. <laughs> Thought beautiful. Good Baptist. So then I began to look something to bust him on. One of those 7,404 ways you could go to hell for. I spotted some nicotine products. I took about three Bishop T.D. Jake steps back. I stuck the bony finger in his face. I said, friend, I don't care if you're a Baptist. You're going to go straight to hell for that nicotine. Old devil sticks. Yeah, you smoke. You must, you, I said, you like smoking, son? Because you are going to smoke. You're going to smoke all day, every day with demons. Demons are going to be in your face, in your eyes. You're not going to get any relief from smoking. Your feet's going to smoke. Your head's going to smoke. Smoke's going to come out of your ears, you smoking devil. And I said, can I pray for you? <laughs> Love to lay hands on you. And I'd like you to come to church with me. We condemn everybody like this. Isn't it lovely? Don't you feel good about yourself right now? And I said, can I pray? And they thought I was going to go back and pray with Grandma at the Tuesday prayer meeting. No, 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 no. Right in the mall in front of everybody. Wow, pow, right on the head. Fire! <laughs> Trip that dude out, I promise. He didn't know if I'm calling hellfire, man. He's a Baptist. He didn't go to his Pentecostal church. Trip the dude out. Jesus looking over the balcony of heaven going, go, Joe, man. This is wild, man. Look at this, guys. This is hilarious. 
He's learning. He shouldn't tell everybody they're going to hell like that. But man, that was funny. <laughs> Old Fred tripped him out. Gabriel Michael's like, we've got to stop him. No, we're going to watch this. This is great. The cloud of witnesses are getting a kick out of this. So I began to read the Bible. Everybody say amen to that. Had two vocabulary words, hell and fire, and it was about to get expanded. I read Psalm 133, where they took oil. They poured it over Aaron. Went from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. I thought, glory to God. He said, brother, you can use me for being bald, but you are not getting near me with that oil. <laughs> I just saw it on his face. And so I went and got a big bottle of oil, the size you get the turkey ready for on Thanksgiving. I mean, this size would not have done. I went and got the jumbo size, size you get the turkey ready with. And What'd you do with it? Well, I took it and I stuck it up over my friend's head like this. Oils all over him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, just like the Bible says. He did it to me. Oils all over me. We had a glow-in-the-dark anointing. We stepped out in the pale moonlight. We were shining vessels for the Lord. Where did you go at midnight, dude? Walmart, 24 hours a day evangelism. We walked in there like we'd been on a methamphetamine binge for seven days. Our eyes are wide open. Yellow stuff's coming out of our head. The, the, the pharmacy's like, shut it down, hide the mucinex, get rid of the Sudafed. The meth heads are here. Run, pharmacy, run now. Evacuate. We're walking through the Barbie doll section. <laughs> We're looking for a victim, somebody to tell they're going to hell. Yellow stuff dripping all off behind us. Looked like our Depends had split open on aisle seven. Can't make it up, man. This guy, he walks over to me. He points in my hair. He said, I don't mean to be a smart aleck. He said, but what is that in your hair, man? He said, you've been running? I took about four R.W. Shambach steps back. Said, get ready, get ready, get ready. I've come to preach you the gospel that dude said, not me. He ran out of Walmart. He never came back in his life, man. We weren't laying hands on him. <laughs> Jesus was looking over the balcony going, check the dude out. Michael said, we got to stop him. He's going to keep reading the Bible, and he's going to get to where Peter cut the guy's ear off. <laughs> he's not going to interpret it too accurately. He's got a shotgun. We got to stop him. Jesus said, no, I like him. And if you didn't DVR that old deal, man, I'm putting Gabriel on the job. Man, that was hilarious. They said, why do you like him? Jesus said, it's simple. Because he's available. I didn't have a great theology. As a matter of fact, I didn't have a whole lot of common sense. I didn't know the Word of God real well. I hadn't gone to Bible school. I wasn't a good communicator. But I was available. And I used what I knew. Oh, you say, well, that's not the right way. Well, you weren't there. And I want to tell you this morning that God's not looking for your talent. He's not looking for your speaking ability or your giftings. He's looking for your availability. He wants you to be available. I went to Bible school Went on to be a missionary, came back to America, was sitting in a McAllister sandwich shop. I saw yours. It's right across the street from Starbucks next to Outback, across the street from the mall, Macy's. 
on Eunice Boulevard, Eunice Boulevard. And I'm sitting in the McAllister sandwich shop waiting for my sandwich. And about that time, two girls walked in dressed kind of provocatively. I said, Lord, I'm going to stand up and condemn them to hell right now. Their shorts were so short, looked like their dryer, looked like their shorts had been in a dryer for eight hours. Stuff hanging everywhere. I'm like, God, it ain't God for me to have to look at booties all day. Amen? You say, well, that's a little bit, uh, 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 I don't know if I'd say it like that. I don't know how else to say it. The Bible says that women should dress in a holy and modest way. I said, the Bible says women should dress in a holy and modest way. That's what it says. And, and you, you know, I, I saw uh, the other day, my friend, he was walking through the mall. He was about a size 32 wearing 48s. Thank God he had his hand in his pocket because he'd lost his britches. Every step he took, I am not exaggerating, his pants fell to the ground. He pulled them back up. He was getting more of an exercise than working out with Pastor Chris at CrossFit, man. Every step he took, he had to pull his pants up, man. Nobody wants to see your fruit of balloon underwear on aisle seven, amen? Pull your pants up. There's something called a belt. That dude needed one. Modesty. The Lord said, don't you tell anybody they're going to hell. Here's what you can do. You can stand up and ask if there's anybody sick, addicted, or depressed. You tell them you serve Jesus, and I'll set them free. So I'm in a restaurant, and the Lord says, I want you to stand up and preach that message right now. I'm like, now? He said, yeah, stand up and preach. So I was nervous. You wouldn't have been nervous in the restaurant. You'd have just stood up and started preaching at everybody, but I was scared. So I stood up. I said, hello, my name is Joe Oden. I need everybody's attention, man. People look at you funny. They go for the gun. They don't know if you're the ISIS operative from Alabama. I said, if there's anybody here sick, addicted, or depressed, I serve Jesus Christ, and he'll set you free right now if you let me pray for you. I sat back down. I want to tell you what happened next. It's going to be unbelievable to your ears. Absolutely nothing. I sat back down. I'm like, that must have been Michael talking to me, <laughs> trying to get me back. I'm sitting there, and then God gave me part number two. How many of you would be fired up for part number two if part number one seemed to be a flop? He said, tell your waitress she's in sexual sin with her boyfriend when she comes back to your table. As a matter of fact, listen, he said, rebuke her. You know, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 2, that what preachers are supposed to do, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Two of the three is not pleasant. Right? I didn't say it. God did. And, and so I'm like, I'm like, Jesus, I'm not going to tell her to quit having sex with her boyfriend. You tell her. You tell her, Jesus, and I'll pray. I'll be like one of them wild prophetic ladies with a flag, and I'll wave it, and I'll wave my hanky and pray in the spirit, but I'm not telling her that. He said, tell her. We argued about it. He won. How do you bring that up? <laughs> How do you bring that up? I didn't teach me that in Bible school. So she comes back to the table, and I said, what would Jesus say to you if he walked up to you right now? She said, he'd ask me for a glass of sweet tea. 
Right then and there, I knew she was going to bust hell wide open because Jesus drinks Dr. Pepper. You want to ask her for a sweet tea? And then I, then I said, or he might say, you're living in a sexual immoral relationship with your boyfriend. Well, how dare you say that? Jesus said it to a woman in John chapter 4, and she gave her life to Christ and became a mighty evangelist. I'm just trying to do what Jesus did. When I said that to her, she didn't get mad. She didn't slap me. She didn't throw my drink in my face. She wept. The Holy Spirit convicted of her immorality. She got on her knees in front of everybody, and she gave her life to Christ. I talked to her up to a year later. She was in church every Sunday morning and Sunday night, living for Jesus, ended it with her boyfriend. Why did God do that? Because I'm a preacher? Because I've gone to Bible school, charismatic? No, because I'm available, and God wants you to be available. God wants new hope to be. God wants your household to be. God wants you personally to be available. Available. Uh, I'm going to share another story or two, then, then we're going to pray. I like... Uh, I like to go to Barnes & Noble. I saw that one next to McAllister's on Eunice's Boulevard. And, and um, they got a great section for Christians. How many have ever been to a, a nice bookstore like Barnes & Noble or Books A Million? They got a great section for Christians. Uh, it's called the Witchcraft and Cult section. They've got Ouija boards. They have Satanic Bibles. They've got witchcraft books. They've got occult books. It's a wonderful place for someone filled with the Spirit to minister to people that are bound by the devil. And so on Friday night, I'm praying for a witch to come. You know, I wanted a cat-eating witch. You know, just somebody that cooked cats that morning. And I'm praying God send me a cat-eating witch, Lord. And he did. He sent me, me a dude. He walks in the middle of the section. He's looking at the books. And I walked over to him, real inconspicuously. And I said, hey, I said, is there any power in them witchcraft books? He said, oh, yeah. He gave me a long, drawn-out testimony of an encounter he had with a demon. And when he got finished, I said, there's a lot more power in the Holy Spirit and Jesus than that devil. He didn't say amen. And I'm not exaggerating. He wanted to fist fight. He bows up, and I'm thinking, I better give him the shimmy shake fast because he's a lot bigger than I was, and I bruise easy. And he went off on me for 10 minutes. When he got finished... I said, have you ever felt the presence of God? He said, no. I said, would you like to? He said, yes. I said, can I lay hands on you and pray? He said, yeah. It's a miracle. I laid hands on him. I said, Lord, I pray that the presence of God would fall on him when he gets back to his truck. He said, how did you know I had a truck? I said, God told me. And I left. A year later, a friend of mine, we're about to do an outreach, a street outreach. One year after this moment, she said, Joe, you'll never believe it. I was in a church service two months ago, and this dude in the middle of the service stands up. Service, 
probably something like this, out of order. He stands up and he said, I got to stop the service right now just for a minute. The Lord's telling me I got to tell everybody how I got saved. He said, I was in Barnes and Noble in the witchcraft section of the bookstore and this wild-eyed crazy guy came over to me and started telling me about Jesus. He said, I was about to punch him in the face, but he laid hands on me and he prayed for me. And when he walked away, the spirit of the living God fell on me. I was convicted of my sins. I got on my knees and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Christ, and I've been living for God ever since. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, I want you to hear me this morning, do not fix your eyes on what you can see, for it's temporary, but fix your eyes on what you cannot see, for it is eternal. Too many believers do not share their faith because their eyes are fixed on the bondage that they can see rather than the God that they cannot see. The reason many believers do not share, you know the Bible says, you know that 48% of millennials believe that evangelism is wrong. I'm telling you, evangelism is not wrong. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 28, in Mark 16, in Luke 24, in John 21, and Acts 1-8. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all men. He said, preach the gospel to Muslims. Preach the gospel to Buddhists. Preach the gospel to atheists. Preach the gospel to people that are immoral. Preach the gospel to people that are in witchcraft, people that are bound to the devil. He said, do not discriminate. Preach the gospel to everyone. He said, be prepared in season and out of season. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't uh, something that he thought would be nice. It was a command of God that if you are a believer, you are commissioned and commanded not by an angel, but by the king of of kings and the Lord of to preach the gospel. The problem with America, it's not the White House or the Congress. Uh, the problem with America is not the Senate. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm an independent and I'm pro-life. And I want to tell you something. The problem's not with the president or the former president. It's with not the White House, but the church house. The believer has remained silent in this hour. And the United States of America is suffering from a sexual epidemic. A, a drug epidemic, a, a suicide epidemic. I'm telling you, God wants to raise you up and not be silent anymore to speak up, to stand up, and to lift your voice. The world has come out of the closet, and the church has gone in. It's time for the church to arise and to shine, for your light has come. It's time. It's time. The reason we don't witness to people, we won't articulate it this way. But our faith is anchored in the seen. It's anchored in what we see. We shouldn't anchor our faith in what we can see. It's temporary. But what we cannot see is eternal. I got good news. I want you to hear me right now. Drug addiction is temporary. Alcoholism is temporary. Immorality is temporary. 
bitterness is temporary. Unforgiveness is temporary. But the blood that was shed on Calvary 2,000 years ago and the Holy Spirit that was released in Acts chapter 2 verse 4 and the kingdom of heaven, it's eternal. Drug addiction has an expiration date on the back of it like a can of Campbell's soup. But the kingdom of our God and heaven, it doesn't have an expiration date on the back of it. It will abide forever and ever 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 day after day after day. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. It's time for us to speak that because we're living in an atmosphere of people that are bound by hell, death, and the grave. They don't need a Mormon. They don't need a Muslim. They don't need a Jehovah's Witness. They need somebody from New Hope, Assembly of God, to give them the hope of the world, and that's Jesus. I said that's Jesus. I'm going to say it again. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. The hope of the world is Jesus. Somebody say Jesus right now. Your hope is not your bank account. It's not your 401k. It is not the job you got or the house you live in. I've come here to tell you today your hope is Jesus. The hope of Eunice is the hope of Louisiana is the hope for America is the hope for the White House is the hope for the Muslim is. Jesus. The hope for the Buddhist is. Jesus. It's Jesus through your mouth. Well, I don't like that. God bless you. Man, I done got fired up. You say, tone it down. This is the toned down version. The toned up version will be at six tonight. It's the blood. I'm going to share a story. And I'm going to close. I was in a Subway restaurant. There's a Buddhist behind the counter. I'm not a bigot. There's one way to heaven. It's not through Buddha. Well, you're a racist. I'm not a racist. I'm a Jesus follower. There's one way to heaven. It's through him. There's a Buddhist behind the counter. And I asked her a question. I said, you ever felt the power of God? She said, nope. I said, would you like to? She said, yes. So I took my hand and I laid it on her. I said, Lord, hit her with a fire of God right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll never believe what happened next. God is my witness. She handed me my sandwich. Unbelievable, isn't it, Pastor Megan? She handed it to me. I got it in my hand, and I'm leaving. I get to the back door. She started shouting at me. Sir, there's something on me. She said, I don't know what it is. I turned around. I said the name above Islam, Buddhism, and the devil. When I said the name that every knee would bow and every tongue confess, when I said the name Jesus, she doubled over under the power of God and began to manifest devils. She looked like she was having an asthma attack. 
uh, 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 Denzel Washington could not have depicted or replayed the act that she, she, was, met, she was hyperventilating in front of everybody, just like the Gospels, just like when Jesus cast out the devil of the demoniac that had a, a legion of demons in him. I want to tell you the devil's real. Go to the mall. You'll see the manifestation of hell everywhere you go. I mean, when the senators in New York say you can have an abortion after the baby comes out of the womb, if there ever was a devil, turn on the news. The devil is active. But I serve the king of kings. I jumped the counter. Sandwich-making dude said that's against the rules, but he got out the way. He says, anybody want a ham and cheese? Let me distract you while he's casting out devils out of the Buddhist lady. So we start casting out devils out of the Buddhist lady. You ever cast out devils out of a Buddhist lady at Subway? It's cool, man. Jerry wouldn't put it in the commercial, though. Come to Subway, you'll have a real experience. We cast the demons out of her. This is bothering some of you. <laughs> I like that. You say, you, you're looking at me and saying, you're out of your mind. I might, I'm not out of my mind. I might be out of yours, but I'm not out of mine because it's in the Bible. And so she got totally free. She gave her life to Christ. And then I leave. She called me two months later. She said, hey, Joe, this is Wong Chi. She said, I no longer pray to Buddha. Only Jesus. Listen to me. Hold on. She said, two months before I met you, she said, I had a dream. And you were in it. Preaching me the gospel. I was so humbled. I hung up the phone. The Holy Spirit whispered to me. He said, Joe. I'm doing my job. I'm giving people dreams. I'm moving. He said, share this story everywhere you go. He said, tell the church I'm doing my job. It's time for them to do theirs. I say this really sincerely. Authentically. There's a world that's hurting and that's dying. And you might say, Joe, that's not my style. That, that's okay. My style's not yours and yours isn't mine. We all were uniquely knit in our mother's womb. But we all are under the mission if we're blood-bought. You might bake brownies and take them to your neighbor. You know what I'm doing with my neighbor? In the next few weeks, Dave might take a month. He's going to come to my house. He's lost. And I'm going to cook him the biggest, fattest, juiciest steak money can buy. I'm going to lay out a spread for him. And I'm just going to love on him. I'm not going to pull out the 16 fundamentals of the assemblies of God and see where his theology lies. I'm just going to love on him. He's my neighbor. I'm going to love my neighbor. Are you going to share the gospel? I don't know. I don't intend to. I just want to touch him. I want to get to know him. 
I want to encourage you, get to know your neighbor. To share the gospel with them when God opens the door. Amen? I want to close with this. That Jesus came to save sinners. He didn't come for perfect people. He'd have passed me by. He wouldn't use me today because I'm not perfect. Jesus came for the least, the last, and the lost. He stepped out of heaven because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He came from heaven to earth because there's none righteous, not even one. He came and he stepped his feet on the sands of this globe because the wages of sin is death and hell and destruction. But the gift of God is eternal life and peace and grace forevermore. He didn't die on a cross and shed his blood to send sinners to hell. He died on a cross and shed his blood to liberate sinners, to set them free, to give them joy unspeakable and full of glory. When Jesus was scourged, most theologians believe you could see his organs and his bones. He was hung so low, many people on the cross, so that dogs could eat the flesh of their feet. Totally naked on the cross, exposed, no bathroom breaks, flies stinging him. Crown of thorns on his head, he was slapped and spit upon, and he died. He didn't die from losing blood. He died because he suffocated on the cross the way they hung people. Every breath, he had to come up that cross and get splinters in his flesh open back. Every moment was excruciating pain. He was paying the price for sin in our life. If you say sin's not a big deal, look at the cross. It is a big deal. And Jesus died to set us free from our sins, to save us. And he's coming back for a glorious bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Today, if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment. In America, we're suffering from an intellectual ascension of, of the gospel, but God wants to give us an encounter. In Acts chapter 9, it was an encounter. In Acts 2, it was an encounter. In Acts 4, it was an encounter. In Acts 5, it was an encounter. Acts 6 was an encounter. All throughout the gospel, we see Jesus meeting his people in an experiential, powerful, riveting, life-changing way. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. I want to ask you, have you experienced that? I'm I'm not asking you to attend church. I want everybody to look this way just for the next three minutes. No moving around, please. I'm not asking do you love Pastor Chris. Everybody loves Pastor Chris. I'm not asking you do you love Pastor Megan. Everybody loves Pastor Megan. I'm asking you. I'm not asking you do you love the worship and Pastor John's phenomenal team that's on the worship team. Everybody loves that team. I'm, I'm not asking you do you love the church. I'm asking you are you saved? I'm not asking you, do you attend church? The devil attends church. The devil gets people out of bed to go to church so they'll feel good about themselves throughout the week. Religion is hanging around the cross. Christianity is getting up on the cross. Religion is living in sin and getting enough of church to keep you satisfied. Christianity is turning from sin and bowing to Christ and letting Jesus become Lord over our life. Saviors mentioned in the Bible about 30 or 
or 40 times. Lord is mentioned about 2,000 times. In America, we want a Savior, but we don't want a Lord. We want a get-out-of-hell-free card, but we won't want to commit everything. We want to hold on to our sin and hold on to Jesus. Jesus said, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You've got to denounce sin, bow your knee to Jesus, and repent. Everybody say repent. You've got to repent. When I got saved, I repented of immorality. I broke up with a girl I was living immoral with. I got the drugs out of my mouth. I got the sin out. I got rid of the television that had immorality and fornication all through it. I got rid of the engrandized sexual music that I listened to and was entertained by. I got right with God. And what God did, I want you to hear me. He changed me. I was a sexual immoral, bitter, wanting to commit suicide, drug addict. And he changed me. I went to rehabs, in-house, and, and, and counseling programs. They couldn't change me. But one touch of God changed everything. Maybe you say, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this lifestyle. Just give God a chance. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Just give him a chance. And he'll change you because we can't change ourselves. If you're away from God, if you're living in sin, if you're immoral, if you've got unforgiveness in your heart, if you're bitter, if you're addicted to alcohol or drugs, if you're living a life of sin, if you're not convicted of your sin, just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you've known the Lord and you're on fire, now you're backslid. You don't pray anymore. You don't read anymore. You attend church once a month. Your heart's grown cold. Every action is away from God. You can get right this morning. So here's the deal. If you've never known the Lord, i got good news. He's here, and he wants to know you. He's not mad at you. He's not aggravated. He just wants to get to know you. Do you want to get to know him? If you've never known him, if you've known about God but not known God, you've made an intellectual ascent, he wants to literally come down to you, touch you, come upon you, come inside and live in you. That's what he did to me. I pray that God would forgive me thousands of times, but when I repented, he came in. I'm closing right now. I'm not trying to be funny. I love apple pie and ice cream. If you asked me to cook it, it would be impossible. I can explain it to you. I can explain the warm crust, the soft apple, the cinnamon glaze, the bluebell ice cream, vanilla on the side, the real deal, not the light stuff that my wife tries to buy. Honey, if you're listening right, I don't, uh, you, you know, I can explain it to you. But you know, there's a big difference between me explaining apple pie and ice cream and taking your fork, putting it in, and tasting it. I can explain it to you today, but Jesus wants you to taste and see that the Lord is good and His mercy endureth forever. Will you come and taste today? Will you give him a chance?